our Reach Next Generation podcast. I'm Grace Jeffries and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they've faced throughout their careers, how they became them and what tips they for girls of my age. Today my guest is Guy Barcelon, who is the CEO of EOS Social Responsibility Solutions, a startup she founded in September of last year, specialising in the education of companies on the integration of human rights while promoting the core values of corporate social responsibility. Thanks for joining me today, Gaia. Can we start by you telling us about your career journey? Where did it start? Thank you for having me. Uh, my career journey started when I was very young. I went to an international school in Italy and then I moved to Collège Alpin-Bousselet, which is an international boarding school in Switzerland. And since the beginning, since kindergarten, I was an international person, meaning that I do not see difference in gender, in religion, in race or in color. And this, I think, is one of my biggest gifts and surely ties back to human rights. Um, it even made me into a very caring person. So since I was a child, I always did not like looking and seeing discrimination. So I had I always had this defender uh, character, which, you know, brought me to reading about international affairs and international law. Of course, at the time, I did not know um, that's what I was reading about. Um, surely human rights, my interest in human rights and the rights of women sparked after a volunteering experience that I did in India. I was around 16 years old. With my Swiss boarding school, we went to a remote a southern region in India to teach children English. And then we helped 99 girls in an orphanage. Um, they, they, the age ranged from nine months to 19 years old. So you can imagine uh, the big difference, the big gap, and all of them needing different things. So what we did was raising money in Switzerland, and then we brought it back to the orphanage and helped out, out the girls. And I still remember, it is very vivid, the thing that really made me think this is what I want to do in the future is when we gave a football to the girls so they could play uh, their smile. They were absolutely happy of receiving a ball, even though they were playing in mud, even though it was going to be destroyed in 10 minutes. Um, and it did break my heart. We live in a society where everything is kind of taken for granted. I was in a Swiss boarding school, so we had the, the, the luxury and the benefits of the Western, the Western world. So that was surely the first time that I told myself, this is what I want to do in the future. And um, I moved after boarding school, I moved to the UK. I studied at City University of London, where I did my bachelor in law and at the time, I did not know what human rights were. So I was kind of picking and choosing between different law subjects. Of course, the first two years, you need to learn the basic um, common law, uh, criminal law, tort law, and so on and so forth. But then the third year, you pick what you want to do. And I picked international law, really out of luck. And that's how I found my my uh, my interest, my what I, what I always... Um, admired in, in 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 people and that's what I ended up doing. I continued studying uh, human rights at Duke University and at the Graduate Institute in Geneva 
And in the meantime, when I was in Geneva, I worked for the World Health Organization. So that really got my practical aspect of human rights, um, let's so to speak, going. I was uh, involved in a project on child violence and how to prevent it from both the uh, law point of view as well as the uh, policy point of view. And that was very interesting for me because I had studied law. I, ha I became a lawyer in New York. And therefore, it was interesting to see how law and policy mix and need to mix in order to achieve a goal. After my WHO experience, I studied, I continued studying at the Breton Institute because it was a two year master. And um, I worked for a consultancy specialized on security and human rights, which means that we were training policemen. Um, to make sure that they were understanding the best practices and the international standards on how to treat people, for for example, during an arrest or during the temporary detention. Uh, COVID happened and I told myself, now I can have the time to dedicate myself to something that I really want to do. And so I created EOS Social Responsibility Solutions. EOS uh, stands for the God of New Beginnings. That's a Greek definition, and that's why, therefore, I wanted to name my company EOS, the new beginning of something, the new beginning for companies in corporate social responsibility, as you said before. And throughout my studies and throughout uh, all of my life, let's so say, um, I've always been used to identify the problem and find a solution. So I created EOS with the intent of helping companies integrate human rights but that was not sufficient. It was not sustainable, let's say. Um, I do not believe in helping companies only integrating human rights when they do not know what human rights are. And so I said, okay, maybe we need to take it a step forward. We need to do trainings for employers and employees so they can dismantle what human rights are and what human rights policies and procedures are in their company. You need to teach people to understand and then I said, OK, that's a good start. But what can we do more? Um, and with a sustainable uh, rationale, I created the second department of my company, which is dedicated to human rights education. The project is called Raise Awareness on International Standards and in Education, briefly RAISE. Um, and we teach human rights education to middle school students, to high school students and to university students. Why did I decide to do this? Not only to make the future generations know about human rights in general and their respective rights and responsibilities, but even to dismantle the myths that surround human rights. And I will just defer for a very brief moment from your question to make sure that the audience knows what human rights are. Um, human rights are very uh, deeply misunderstood. If we asked anyone on the streets, what are human rights? And they would give you the extreme examples. So they would give you the example of slavery and trafficking and the wrongful use of force um, by at the hands of public security of officers and so on. Human rights, yes, do cover these extreme examples, but they are much more. We need to be looking at human rights on a daily perspective because that's what human rights are. They are the basic standards that we all have to ensure human dignity. So, for example, do you work? Yes, that's a human right. Do you rest? 
Yes, that's again, that's another human right. Do you go to school? Yes, it's again a human right. And I do think that if we start creating more awareness on human rights, there is going to be more understanding and therefore more tolerance towards the other. Wow, that is definitely quite the journey that you've had from being a kid like my age to where you are now. Um, well, I know that you went to the City of London University. How important do you think it actually is to go to university, though? Going to university for me shaped me as a person. Um, as I told you before, yes, I was an international student, so I did not see color, gender, religion. Um, I was already caring uh, and I was passionate and open minded, but I was missing the backbone of of my arguments, especially for now. I, I do law. I, I study human rights. I, I teach human rights. So I really needed the basis. So apart from, of course, all the uh, the information and the structure as a lawyer that university gives you, I do think that my university experience, so I've been to three different universities, one bachelor and two masters, and my university experience was enriched by the people I met, not only my peers, uh, but my professors. So for instance, uh, after my first university essay, I had miserably failed and I wanted to give up. And I thought that my scholastic path was not law and it was policy. So I went to talk about it with a professor and she inspired me to continue holding on to get out my clothes, so to speak, and to battle for what I wanted to battle for my objectives and my aspirations. And if I had made it so far, it's even thanks to her, uh, to this specific professor. So on one side, you have the professors and on the other hand side, you have your peers, you have your university friends and they do help you out as a lot as well. So my university friends, city university friends, my Duke friends and my graduate institute friends have been uh, my biggest supporters in in my launching the career. I did not know what I was doing at the start. And they have been my biggest rocks in terms of marketing, in terms of information. And um, we all have learned from each other. We've all helped each other in understanding the law, especially during exams and to become, in our case, better lawyers. So I do think that university experience is not only, of course, enriching from a information and knowledge point of view, but it's even the people that you're studying with. Um, tell me a little bit about your time in New York and how U.S. law is different to what you studied in the U.K. Which do you prefer, the U.S. or the U.K.? <laughs> So I am a U.S. lawyer, so I can't really go against my 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 law background. And it's it, both both laws are common law. Therefore, when I went to the States, I already had, so to speak, a bit of help thanks to my bachelor years. When I arrived in London, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I was the first lawyer in the family. I did not know about all the laws and the spider web of laws. And so my first three years were very tough. It was me studying a lot. And therefore, out of the, univer the, the universal experience I've had, of course, I would say the UK, because that really taught me to become um, a passionate lawyer. But of course, the United States was... A more practical experience. I was a bit older and uh, my Duke friends were older and therefore they were 
already lawyers and they were helping me out with uh, with my essays. So two very different experiences, but law wise, they do share the same basis. When we look at social media, which impacts all of our lives on huge impacts, what advice would you give girls, say, about my age, about how to use it and not use it? This is a very good question, and I will answer this question from two points of view. The first one as a lawyer and the second one as a woman. As a lawyer, I will tell you social media can be dangerous. I'm sure that you hear this sentence on a daily basis. And. Um, if not, of course, use widely. We all have social media. Before you sign up to any social media or to any newsletter, um, you need to read the terms and conditions as they tell you the personal information that is going to be stored and how the social media in question is going to use it. I was doing a course a couple of weeks ago at uh, of human rights at uh, Collège Beausoleil, so my Swiss boarding school. And I was talking to students around your age. One of the topic, topics we touched upon was the right to privacy. And um, I asked them, so have you ever read terms and conditions? And of course, all of them said, no, we never did that. Of course, why are you crazy? It's 30 pages. I'm never going to read this. And so one of the exercises during this class was to make them read terms and condition, which was literally copied and pasted from a very known and used um, social media web page. And when they started reading it, they realized what terms and conditions were and what so this particular social media was doing to their names, was doing to their email, was doing to their photos and videos. So I do hope that you youngs will start reading terms and conditions. I know it's very boring, but it is very important for your safety. Um, as you are signing de facto a virtual contract, which might be hindering your privacy. Going to instead to the woman side, um, girls, hear me out very carefully if you're listening. Uh, social media is not a representation of reality. It is the representation of one's best and faked self. 20 years ago, when I was a kid, um, there was already the phenomenon of the perfect life and the perfect woman that has, you know, a perfect body, perfect skin, perfect skin, perfect shape. But this representation was seen more in magazines. Therefore, you either went to buy magazines or if not, the case was closed. Now it is very different because all young girls, I have a cousin who's around your age, so I do see it um, quite a lot. You have access to the Internet and you have access to, of course, social media. And what you see and digest on a daily basis is a constant symbol or semi symbol of a fake perfection. And of course, you try to replicate it. Um, the grass always looks greener on social media because the person, it's the individual that chooses what to share with you, that chooses to show you that they have the perfect hair, the perfect skin, so on and so forth. And um, you can edit photos with filters and applications that hide the so-called imperfections and can change the backgrounds and the size of thighs and the shape of your nose. And this is not what normal life looks like. You need to be aware of this danger and you need to make sure that you are not falling in this trap and that your friends are not falling in the same trap. 
Perfection as a general concept does not exist. I am 27 years old now and I can clearly say it. Um, we are all perfectly imperfect in, on, in our own ways. And the difference is what makes each and every one of us so special and so unique. So please, girls, do not replicate what you see on social media. Um, what were the challenges when you were setting up your business during the COVID pandemic? So I opened up my co my company during the COVID pandemic. Since I had all the time of my hands, I said, you know, why not try? It is a dream of mine. It is to open up a company. Um, I did not think it was going to come so soon uh, at such a young age. But I said, I have this time. Why not? I do think that COVID pandemic can help my company and the human rights cause in one way. So, of course, COVID is creating loads of problems in communications and traveling, so on and so forth. And it's the problems that we all face on a daily basis. But if I had to see the positive side of COVID, of the pandemic, is that we, I hope, that we all realize by now that we are all interdependent one on the other. So my health is important and dictates the health of my neighbor the health of my neighbor is useful for the other neighbors so on and so forth therefore we are all linked to each other human rights work exactly with the same rationale if i have my human rights in place everyone have has their human rights in place have you had any mentors and and are there any people that you really admire um <laughs> That's a very good question. I have people I admire. I generally tend to admire women that manage to work with other women and that inspire other women. I do think that this is a beautiful trend to see. And I have had the luck throughout my career to be um, under women who have really taught me to do the job first as lawyers and as a lawyer and then as a consultant. If I had to go personal, I would surely say that a mentor of mine was my geography teacher, Mr. Beryl. And I do think that he's going to listen to this uh, podcast and I do think he's going to smile as well because when he was my geography teacher, he used to teach me, of course, volcano, the structure of volcanoes and mountains and glaciers. We lived up in Switzerland, so glaciers was one of the biggest topics and I always managed in my essays to write something about human rights, especially women rights. And, you know, it had absolutely nothing to do with whatever uh, the, the the topic was. But instead of penalizing me grade wise, he spurred me to read, uh, to check information out on a particular website. Uh, so I do think that that is a very different way of teaching but it has really helped me out in in my in my in my in my career and in my studies and again personal wise i will turn to my family i am an only daughter so my family means a lot to me they have stood behind me throughout all of my choices even though i haven't lived with them in the past 15 years and um, my grandparents passed away quite recently and from my grandmother I learned humbleness and passion. She was the restorer of the Last Supper, and she would hate for me to say it because she was, as I said, very humble. But she has taught me 
the um, importance of passion and devotion that always go hand in hand in the, a career choice and in a career pick. And she always said, you need to have passion, you need to have devotion, you're going to be working long hours, but always remember that you need even need a bit of luck. So do not bash yourself on the head if you don't receive the results you want. And my grandfather instead always taught me kindness, kindness to the others, kindness to oneself. And it surely ties in with uh, with human rights and what I do on a daily basis. My L will return to my parents because they are the ones that have uh, raised me. My father has given me one of the biggest gifts because he sent me to an international school. It was his choice, his pick, and he gave me the biggest gift of all. Uh, I think I've repeated quite quite a lot throughout this podcast, but internal, internationalism uh, is one of my characteristics, and I do think that the lack of judgment and the tolerance not seeing difference is one of the qualities that derive from having grown up in, a, in an international environment. I would speak Italian at home with my father French uh, at school English and with my grandparents Spanish. So I've always been surrounded by really different cultures, different traditions as well. And from my mother, the value of work. I do, I do think that she has been uh, my biggest mentor, but of course the person that I admire as well a lot. Uh, she has taught me the value of working and the value of being a mother at the same time. She has managed to balance it out per- perfectly, even though she doesn't believe it to this day. But she has really taught me the, um, that women are extremely good at doing both things, even though they do feel guilty when they go to work and they leave family. Uh, uh, well, you're going to see it in a couple of years. <laughs> well, I've really um, enjoyed chatting with you today, Gaia. It's really been interesting to hear about your career, and I'm sure a lot of what you said will help those listening when they're thinking about their future. Keep listening to the Reach Next Generation podcast as I talk to many more brilliant women. Thank you to our sponsors, Haynes Watts and Levi Strauss, for their amazing support.